Business Link, the Lincoln Chamber of Commerce's podcast to talk about exciting things going on in our community. I'm joined here in the AOI podcast studio at the Lincoln Chamber of Commerce by Doug Durham. Doug is the co-founder of Don't Panic Labs, and he's here to talk about their Talent Pathways program today. So, Doug, welcome to the AOI podcast studio at the Chamber. All right. Thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Doug, just real quick, can you give our listeners some background about your work history and what led you into creating Don't Panic Labs in the first place? My work history? How long is this podcast? <laughs> it's, it's a brief it's, podcast. It's, it's a long, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, uh, I graduated from the University of Nebraska uh, in 1988 with an electrical engineering degree. I had uh, one class in programming. It was Fortran. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's the limit of my formal education. But then I went to work for as a s- systems engineer at McDonnell Douglas in St. Louis, where I worked with other software developers. I didn't do development. We moved back in 95 to Nebraska after I finished graduate school to be closer to family. My wife's from Valentine. Yeah. And began working for a bunch of small software product development companies. Mm -hmm. Mostly as kind of like they wanted me to do more project management and things like that. One thing led to another. I got involved with, you know, a startup in the late 90s called Accelerate with Steve Keen, where I eventually led all the the product development for that. Mm -hmm. Steve and I did some other things before then. We founded Nebraska Global in 2010, which Mm -hmm. is a combination of a venture capital fund from Nebraska investors that was really led and uh, promoted by uh, Mike Dunlap from Nelnet, who really kind of got this thing off the ground for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was instrumental to that. And then we pair that with a product development team that we called Don't Panic Labs, just as a marketing thing, so we could recruit students. It was kind of an internal kind of identity for that product development team. And then over the course of the next five years, we we invested in a few companies in Lincoln, like Travify, but we weren't actively involved in development. But we fully funded and built three companies, uh, uh, LeapForm, which is a computer vision technology company that we work with the University of Nebraska to build a, a system that helps athletes uh, get feedback when they're doing strength and conditioning at these mm-hmm. weight racks. And Beehive Industries, which is a public works infrastructure management platform that is in use by public works departments all over the country, including Lincoln uh, and Boulder, Colorado use it. And then Occuvera, which is another computer vision technology company which uh, that watches people in a hospital room and detects when they're going to get out of bed or out of a chair unattended yeah. if, and they're at a fall risk, and it prevents falls in hospitals. So those th- th- that's the type of companies we envision kind of building with Nebraska Global. Back in 2014, though, we, uh, we started getting inquiries from companies within the community that wanted to kind of hire us to help them with their innovation projects. So like, obviously you have some experience in building new products and bringing ideas from nothing to a first or second version. And that's what a lot of companies struggle with with their innovation efforts because yeah. their staff is designed to um, really support existing systems, more or less. So we're like, well, that wasn't, wasn't really what we meant to do with Don't Panic Labs, but we felt like it was another opportunity for us to kind of help with the economic development, which was the whole idea behind Nebraska Global. As part of that, though, we recognized that there was some basic professional education that we could also contribute to help not just solve a problem for these companies, but also help kind of elevate the, the software engineering literacy of their organization. And so we started getting into education uh, and doing some professional development and things like that. And that led us to trying to solve some of the problems with just hiring and getting people into the industry, which is where the collaboration with Doan University first started coming about back in 2018. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So you guys are in an exciting stage with this. You've had several cohorts successfully complete the program. I think you've you've been through some changes in, in how you're structuring things. Yeah. So tell us, you know, what is Talent Pathways now? Right. How is it structured now? What what it, what does it look like for people to go through it? Right. So first, you know, this is not a program to replace existing educational avenues for getting into this career, like mm -hmm. the University of Nebraska or even Doan University's existing computer science program. The problem we're trying to solve with this is back in the day, back in the 80s and 90s, a lot of people who were entering this industry were self-taught. Mm -hmm. They did not go to school to be software developers. It worked because the types of problems, while it was complex, they were solvable by people who basically had programming skills. They yeah. could understand how to apply the language and things like that. Fast forward to today, everybody who's an engineer in our company, a software developer in our company, has some formal education. Most mm -hmm. of them have a four-year degree, either in computer science or software engineering or some other engineering. And I think that, well, that may be, we may have a higher percentage than a lot of companies. Most companies are finding that they have to hire people who have that because the technology is advanced. The problems we're trying to solve require not just programming skills, but distributed system design skills. How do I, yeah. how do I design and build large systems? You're not going to teach yourself to do that by reading a book, yeah. right? And so that means if we're going to bring people into this industry that are, haven't gone through a formal education program, how are we going to train them? So people are kind of stuck with a desire to kind of get into this career field, but not a pathway to do it that gives them the skills and the competencies that they need to be entry-level developers. And you have, you know, all the, if you go to code.org, you see that there's maybe four or 5,000 open IT jobs. They're not all programming jobs, but a lot of them are mm -hmm. in this state. And our colleges and universities only produce about 650 graduates a year. And not all of them stay in Nebraska. You know, mm. a lot of those people, are, young people leave the state. So we're not, we have more demand than we have supply. Also, we have poor representation from a lot of the minority community, mm -hmm. as well as women. There's less than 20% of the people in this career field are female. So there's this huge untapped pool of talent. You know, it's not an aptitude thing. It's a for whatever reason, did not choose this career field. Yeah. How do we give them a way to get into this career field in a way that gives them that skills and competency that they might get from a four-year degree? Yeah. They're already working. They can't go back to college. So that's what we did. We paired with Doan University because we knew that Doan Panic Labs is good at teaching people who already have a foundation in computer science how to apply that foundation towards engineering projects. We didn't think we had the skill set to bring people from different entry level or you know yeah. non-experienced paths into that. But that's what Doan University does. They take in students every year yep. that have no background. Yeah. So your question was about the Talent Pathways program. Yeah. The way it's evolved is people, they come into this program with a different starting point. People with no experience would go through the entire program. Mm -hmm. People who might have had some experience, they convinced us that maybe they did do some self-learning or maybe they've dabbled in their current role in the company and done a little bit of programming, but, but they're missing a broad background and foundations or they don't know how to do kind of modern software development like maybe main pro programmers. Mm -hmm. That's a target. And then maybe people who have a formal education, maybe they got a degree at SCC or even the University of Nebraska or something like that, but don't have a lot of applied learning through internships and things like that. And so the onboarding for their company could be challenging to kind of get them to be productive. We can help all three of those sets of people yeah. Yeah. by having them enter this program at different stages. They're on a different pathway, but they all eventually join the same path mm -hmm. and end up as entry-level software developers. And, and so far, roughly how many people have been through your previous cohorts? Yeah, we've had 42. Okay. 
gone through 26 in 2022. So yeah, the first cohort yeah. in 2020, which was the COVID year, had uh, six people in it. Okay. And then we did some pilot programs with Nelnet in 2021 for training COBOL programmers or mainframe programmers mm -hmm. to be modern software developers. So that was another 10 people or so there. Actually, exactly 10 people. And then we had 26 this last year, so 42. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that I find most interesting about this program and the way you all have structured it and you've referred to this earlier, is, is these are people that are generally already out in careers. The entity that's that's paying for them to participate in this program is usually their employer, right? Correct. Yeah. So the we didn't want to create a school where students pay the tuition, come in, and get out of it, and then find a job. Yeah. We wanted a program where these people already had jobs waiting for them upon successful completion. That way they don't have to worry about subsistence. They're being paid by their employer so they can focus entirely on this program, which is an 80 or 40 hour a week program. So they're not working at their employer. They're fully yeah. focused on this program for the 20 weeks. And then the employer pays the tuition. Some of the employers might have an agreement with the people going through that says, hey, you'll, if you don't stay at the company for a certain amount of time, maybe they get reimbursed. I, I don't know. That's all up to them. Yeah. To employers. Yeah. I think the vast majority of them don't do that. Okay. I think most of them, especially if they're already existing employees in the company. So, yeah. yeah, to me, that was the best way for us to be able to reach the widest audience. Because like, you can imagine somebody in the community who might be underemployed can't afford to quit their job mm -hmm. and go into this program mm -hmm. and not get paid. So that would be somebody who wouldn't have access to this program. We wanted to make sure that anybody mm -hmm. who had could be hired by one of these sponsor organizations could be able to get into the program. And you've had some notable success stories, I think, that, that you like to tell about people whose you know, lives have been impacted and they've been able to do better for themselves and their families by really leveling up in this. Do you m mind sharing one? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had three people go through the program that are now, that are Don't Panic Labs that went in as employees at Don't Panic Labs. I'd mentioned uh, Rafael, who was in the first cohort back in 2020. He was a political refugee from Venezuela yeah. who landed in Nebraska with his wife and he was working at Costco and he had a college degree from his time back at Venezuela but was really having a hard time finding employment that really matched his talents and aptitude so he got connected to us through Brian Sack who was in charge of workforce development at the chamber at the time he amongst uh, over 100 other applicants by the way wow. so there was a lot of people who nice. were interested in this program just yeah. through case managers in the city of Lincoln and we ended up selecting two people out of that 100 to go through that first cohort. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Raphael was one of them that, that went through that program. So he you know, came out, of that, finished in the end of 2020, early 2021, rolled right into being a software developer at Don't Panic Labs, has seen one promotion yeah. since then, and has been doing great. And I think there's a lot of other stories like that, and which is yeah. one of the reasons why we want to continue to use this as a means of getting people not just in the community, but at Don't Panic Labs, like eating our own dog food. Yep. That, that was important <laughs> to me. When yeah. I, I was first approached by somebody probably about six years ago to create a code school, and I said, if I'm going to create a code school, it has to be able to produce product that I would hire yeah. at Don't Panic Labs. And like I said, the bar's pretty high for that, and I, I think that's what we created. I think we got that program. You hit on something else I wanted to ask you about today, which is this program is unique in several ways. You know, how is it different from opportunities for software encoding education that I think people may have come across either through things like code camps or code weekends mm -hmm. or things that different uh, university systems or uh, colleges are doing? Like what? What makes this uh, unique as compared to some of those other different types of opportunities? Sure. So the, the first thing is is you're still getting a college education foundational. You actually get a software development certificate from Doan University if you go through the full 20 weeks. Yeah. 
including 15 credit hours of computer science wow. courses. Yeah. So that's a lot. 15 yeah. hours may not seem like a lot, but if you're getting a computer science degree, that's a significant portion of your actual computer science courses yeah. in that mm. in that curriculum. And so that's a big part that where they're actually getting college credit from a, a university that has a computer science program. The other big difference is it's an immersive program. It is intense. It's eight hours a day. Most programs are not like that. They tend to be, they're also working, plus they're doing this nights and weekends and mm-hmm. things like that. So that makes it challenging for people to really kind of tense, rapid learning that can happen. When we first did this, it was nine months of instructions in Capstone. Yeah. We, we were able to shrink that to 20 yeah. without compromising the what they were getting out of the program because when people are there eight hours a day, this is their whole job. They're learning s- so much quickly. Yeah. And then the last thing is that transition from that kind of formal education with Doan in terms of the computer science foundations to that software engineering education and experience they get in the last half of the program through working with the folks at Don't Panic Labs that are doing instruction and mentoring and coaching as part of the capstone program that they do. So they're actually, they transition into um, working in a team where they're applying best practices and critical thought that is required of the engineering side of software development. So we've kind of solved a couple of different problems here, and w- one of which I feel is the kids coming out of a lot of other education programs, even like computer science programs, have a lot of knowledge about foundational stuff. Like in my analogy is if somebody gets a physics degree in college mm-hmm. and gets a civil engineering degree in college, there's a lot of overlap in terms of their foundational education. Mm-hmm. They t- you take a lot of physics as a civil engineering major, but you would not ask a physics major to design a bridge, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They really wouldn't. I mean, could they do it? It's possible. Maybe. That's not, th- that was not their, yeah. right, maybe. Yeah. They understand the physics around it, right? Yeah. But a physics major, you're building in order to learn. Your mm-hmm. whole goal is to kind of learn and grow the body of knowledge around physics. With a civil engineer, you're really learning yeah. that body of knowledge in order to build, yeah. right? So it's more of applied learning. And that's what the second half of our program is. And that's kind of what's missing with a lot of computer science programs is they don't have that applied. Computer science degree requires one Three credit, three credit hour course in software engineering. Yeah. So everything we're doing <laughs> in the back half of this program, computer science degree is really, they're trying to boil it into three credit hours. Yeah, so. yeah. That's, yeah, that's tough. Sound like yeah. that was a rant against computer science. It, it's not. Just an example of how we need to evolve education at all different levels to kind of tackle the problems we're dealing well with. And, and I think that's why I asked the, the question too, because we see similar types of conversations in different industries. I, I, I think it is a challenge in many industries, just nationally in how we do education. Yeah. You know, what are we preparing those students for? Are the students at a time in their life where they're ready to think about what they want to apply that knowledge yeah. as? I mean, there's a lot of those foundational questions. And I, I think that's what I find most fascinating about, you know, what we're doing with Talent Pathways program here at Don't Panic Labs is, you know, this is really an industry-led approach uh, by mm-hmm. people that are deep in the industry. But it's also working with how, how many companies roughly have, have you worked with to oh, send cohorts through? I think there's been uh, probably 10 or 12 companies. Yeah, I should yeah. know that number, shouldn't I? <laughs> well, no, it's but that's a significant number. Yeah. I, uh, I I think is the point I'm making, and yeah, and, and they're and all so in the Lincoln, Omaha, Nebraska region. Yeah. We're really we're not focused on trying to bring this thing nationwide. This is all about just trying to. Well, I, I would Nebraska. I would accept workforce nationwide. I think that would <laughs> yeah. be a great. Well, yeah, thing actually, to a lot of our here. students are working yeah. for Nebraska companies, but they are. The remote, the remote okay. in other states. Yeah, well, so. uh, we'll work with you on getting them to move here and be part yes. of the, the community too. Absolutely. You know, I just want to end with making sure people know where to go. I uh, l- looked up the on the website. It's don'tpaniclabs.com/slash/education/slash. Am I saying that right? Yeah, you probably don't need the bat the ending slash, but yeah, don'tpaniclabs.com/slash/education. Yep. 
um, and there should be contact information in there. There's also additional information about that dives into each of these four pathways that we talked about. Yep. And then, of course, you can contact us and Malika Yadgarova, who's our program manager yep. for education. She's fully devoted to this program and, and getting people connected to it. So, so uh, and I want to end on this note. If, if people have heard this conversation, individuals have heard this and you're interested, would you recommend they approach their employer first or, or do you recommend reaching out to Malika on your team or what's the right way to start that conversation? They could probably, either one of those is probably good. I think okay. Malika would have encourage them to kind of get in contact with their employer okay. and maybe we can even help with that. So okay. that might be an opportunity for us to kind of educate the employer. The biggest problem with this program is a lack of awareness. It's an unusual model. And so I think kind of, and there's a lot of noise out there in terms of training software people and stuff like that. And, and I think there's been a lot of, so I, I just think that most people, all those 12 companies that worked with us, they were all people who had already partnered for software development yeah, in other areas. Yeah. So yeah. they knew us, there was a trust there. Yeah. But that's the biggest challenge to scaling this program is trying to reach all those other companies, whether they're whether they have hundreds of software developers or two, mm -hmm. they're all in need usually of recruiting people. And I think this is a great way for especially small companies who have a hard time maybe recruiting those kids coming out of college yeah. to be able to kind of increase their workforce and maybe invest in some of their existing workforce and retrain them or grab somebody from the community and bring them in. And I would imagine if a company of any size, large or small, but again, for our small employers that struggle so much with, with workforce and share that with us frequently, mm -hmm. sending a team member probably makes them, through a program like this, probably makes them very sticky within that company and, yeah. and generates a lot of, uh, I would assume, loyalty to stay. Yeah, you know, when we first pitched the program, we were exclusively talking about bringing people from the community. And uh, Brian Seck again says, don't worry about that so much. Let them retrain people existing because that will create an opportunity from some of the community to get it to fill that backfill job and maybe mm. increase their financial security. The organizations we that we talked to, the sponsors, they're like, oh, this could really, you know, this would be a great story for us in terms of our you know, commitment to investing in our employees and things like that. So, yeah, we got a lot of positive feedback from employers on this being a pathway for advancement of people who just can't make that leap into that yeah. into that more technical job or that higher paying position. Well, awesome. Doug, this is exciting. Thank you so much for being with us today. I just want to remind everybody again, go to don'tpaniclabs.com slash education, connect with Malika, do some, uh, do some research on their website. It's got a lot more detail than we're able to get into in this forum. It's a great uh, resource for information about this. For those that are out there, please like and subscribe, connect with us on all your podcast platforms. Uh, again, this has been Business Link at the Lincoln Chamber of Commerce in the AOI podcast studio with Doug Durham from Don't Panic Labs. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Really appreciate it.